Aloha. Hey, this is Travis. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Here at Shorebrook, we're coming up to four years of ministry this July. Four years ago, a few families came out to Hawaii to plant this church, and by God's grace, we've seen transformation, church growth, people being baptized, and that's because of the partnership of the local church and those of you who have financially partnered with us. If you would feel led to support financially the work of the gospel of God being spread here in Kona and beyond, in addition to your tithe to your local church, you can go and give online at shorebreakchurch.com. But we just want you to continue to pray for us, continue to pray that the gospel would be spread and that people would come to know Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Continue to share it with other people. Grace and peace be with you. We're a church that is all about Jesus. Our vision as a church, uh, and I say this often, so in fact, I was asked not too long ago, why do you always reiterate the vision of the church? Because we are leaky cisterns. We are broken cisterns. And anytime we get filled with something, we often find ourselves leaking that very thing out. And so to remind you, because probably most of you know, our vision as a church is to amplify Jesus. We exist to make much of him. It's not about a man. It's not about you. It's not about me. Uh, at the end of the day, we're here to, to make much of Jesus. And so through thick and through thin, through uh, high mountaintops, low shadowy valleys, we grow, we learn, we trust, we lean, and we amplify Jesus through all the seasons of life. And so uh, we understand that built into our journey of faith, built into your journey of faith, is that we would collectively gather together on Sunday morning and sing the praises of God and sit under uh, the authority of God's word. And so we're thankful to have you with us today. We have been praying that you would be blessed by this time in God's word. If you would stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him. From Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When a great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever, the unclean, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain, and they called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he most also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonergus, that is, the son of sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the son of the Cananean, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. O oh, Father, we see 
your word, we hear your word, and we ask that your word would penetrate our souls this morning. We believe that you alone, God, have the words of eternal life, and there is nowhere our souls can turn to. There is no water we can drink from. There is no bread that satisfies like you, your scriptures, and your word. So may we feast on the table of your word this morning. Because it is not about our entertainment or our pleasure or what's in it for us, but it's you revealing who you are through the scriptures to us. We do pray that we would receive blessing. God, may you bless the reading of your word. Would you help me to faithfully teach your word? May we faithfully listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We have seen Jesus declare and Jesus demonstrate. We've seen Jesus declare truth in the gospel of Mark, and we've also seen Jesus demonstrate truth. We've seen him declare good news, and we've seen him demonstrate good news. We've seen Jesus value human life more than ceremony and tradition. In fact, we saw in our time, in our last time in God's word, Jesus illustrate, not just by demonstrating, but by illustrating Not just by declaring, but by demonstrating and illustrating the story of David and the bread of presence. When David and his mighty men were hungry, they were running from the life of, they were running from Saul who was trying to end their life. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to heal a man on the Sabbath who had a withered hand. And he shared the story and then demonstrates his glory and his sovereignty because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is revealing his power over creation itself by revealing his sovereignty, by trumping the religious men's understanding of Scripture by having God's interpretation versus man's interpretation. And these stories that we've seen and these controversies, they're not Jesus abolishing the laws of God, but it's Jesus fulfilling them. It's Jesus bringing these laws, these commands into full perspective. Because infused with every law of God is the flourishing of humanity. Whenever God gives a a command, he commands you, God commands me, not so that we would have our joy killed, but that we would be brought into full joy. Commands are given, revealing how God has designed creation so that we would glorify God, and in glorifying God, we would be satisfied and our joy would be full. And Jesus himself said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And as you would imagine, that would just tick the religious people off, right? I mean, it set them off. It didn't go over well with the Pharisees. And so while Jesus' popularity, though, is plummeting with the religious Pharisees and the Sadducees, He's become a celebrity to ordinary people. 
And we're going to see Jesus calling today ordinary people to himself. And in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. That's just coming after the heels of him being in the synagogue and healing the man with the withered hand. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Jesus' ministry is expanding far more rapidly than the disciples, I'm sure, ever thought it would. At this moment, though Jesus is rubbing against the grain with the religious Pharisees, you have to put yourself in the shoes of a disciple, or the slippers, you would say, of a disciple, and be in the moment and realize that in that moment, it must have been awesome being a follower of Jesus. A great crowd is following you, Jesus. That's what the language of the Bible uses here. A great crowd followed. And the Bible doesn't use hyperbole very often. In fact, ever. So when the Bible says a great crowd, it means like a great crowd. Like thousands upon thousands of people. Jesus is a celebrity. And this crowd, we are told, has gathered from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond. Now, it's easy just to read past that and be like, okay, whatever, no big deal. Cool, there's some places, there's some cities. Next, what's, what's in it for me? What, what, what can I learn from this story? Uh, what's going to bless me in the reading of God's word? But, but we can just so easily glaze over that. But this is significant because it reveals the broad appeal of Jesus to common humanity. That Jesus did not come for the religious and for the well, but that he came for the sick and for the desperate and for the needy. This is foolish to the religious people. It didn't make sense to them. Yet Jesus is appealing to everyone who should not be appealed, find appeal, Jesus appealing at all. Not, should not find religious appealing in any way. In fact, Idumea, the city that's mentioned here, is 120 miles south of where Jesus is right now. So it's hard to drive 120 miles around this island, right? let alone walk. But people are bringing crippled relatives, friends, and family. Hey, 120 miles to have an an encounter with the healing, sovereign, loving Jesus. That's radical. Jesus has a very broad appeal that, that, though is repulsive to the religious, is attractive to the sinner and the outcast. Jesus' impact is crossing over borders at this point. His impact is moving through different ethnicities and cultures because Jesus transcends culture. Jesus transcends ethnicities and religions. Tyre and Sidon, that was heavily Gentile. Jerusalem, heavily Jewish. Yet all these different people, cultures, 
and backgrounds are gathering at the name and the power of Jesus. Which just goes to show that the gospel by nature, Jesus by nature, is not meant for a singular type of people, but it is multi-ethnic, diverse, cultural. The gospel fits into all cultures, into all contexts, for all peoples. Not just for only a little. Which is the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy, which Isaiah 49, 6 says, that the Messiah will be a light to the nations, so that the God of salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that is beginning to happen, even as Jesus is, has launched his ministry. If we were there watching this unfold, our eyes would fill up with tears at the horrors, the horror of this scene. Our soul would be gripped People's feet bloodied, demon-possessed, convulsing, dying, hopeless, men, women, diseased children. You can't even see the shoreline at Galilee because it's covered with people just trying to get close enough to Jesus, so much so that Jesus is like, hey, disciples, get a boat ready in case this goes crazy. I don't want to get crushed. A few years ago, I remember I was on a mission trip um, to El Salvador, and, and it, was, it was a really special time. And, and we you know, played with orphans and did serve different people there in ministry and were involved with the homeless and those are those are cool. I mean, it was it was it was it was it was um, a blessing to serve in that way. But I remember going to the children's hospital there in El Salvador, San Salvador, and in San Salvador, it's in the heart of town, and it was a hospital for terminally ill children. And every child in there is we prayed for, and we share the gospel with is not alive today. Um, and you could barely call it a hospital. I mean, we're talking like third world. And I remember um, a couple of us were praying and just talking to this one six-year-old boy who had a shaved head dying of cancer. And we were holding his hands, and I will never forget the words of the translator when that boy said to us, I just wish there was someone who could make me better. I wish there was someone. I wish there was something I can do. And that is the desperation these people have in this text that we can so easily glaze over and miss the power of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. These people have that same hope. I wish there was some, there is, the Messiah has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's bring the sick. Let's bring the needy. And they're doing everything they can. people can experience the healing power of Jesus. 
Do you see the scene now here at Galilee? Jesus is touched. He is deeply moved. He is moved with compassion and he sees the state of humanity. And all this is happening. You know what's crazy? All this is happening while the Pharisees are meeting with the Herodians. By the way, Pharisees and Herodians don't get along at all. Yet the Pharisees are scheming with the Herodians to end the life of Jesus. Yet here is Jesus meeting the needs. Jesus is here with broken creation, with desperate people coming to be healed because Jesus is someone who can make them better. And in verse 9 we read, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crushed him. Verse 10, for he, ha- for he healed ma- many so that all who had diseases pressed around him. What I love here is that it didn't matter what culture you were from, did it? It didn't matter if you were young, if you were old, if you were Uh, going to worship Jesus on the spot, or if you were going to go away and never think about this Jesus again. Jesus was there. He had compassion. It didn't matter their background, their ethnicity. Jesus healed many, many. And that is the ministry of the gospel. It's the gospel declared and the gospel demonstrated. The true gospel is not just word only, but it's also deed. Word and deed. Declaration and demonstration. Jesus doesn't just bring good news. Jesus is the good news. And something I've been, I've been pondering this week and thinking about this week, just knowing this text was coming up, is like, how did we go from these five controversies to all of a sudden this touching, compassionate, amazing story? Why is Mark sharing this story with us coming off of the heels of these controversies? Like, why share this now? I think it's important to back up for a minute and to realize Mark is primarily writing this gospel to a irreligious Gentile audience. And what he is doing is he is making the case for this Gentile audience that this Christ, this man Jesus, who many had heard of, he is the servant and he is the savior. He is a king and Jesus is also humble. He brings good news and Jesus is good news. And that we would read this and that we would not just have a knowledge of Jesus, but that we would believe something about Jesus in this story. And what would we come to believe about Jesus in the story? That Jesus has not forgotten about broken creation. A lot of times we can sit, I've done it, my arms unfolded, folded. God, where is your sense of justice? You're letting all these unjust things happen. All you have to do is turn on the news and to see this place we are as a nation. And really, we're not in a good place right now as a nation, let alone the globe. Yet injustice, injustice bothers Jesus more than it bothers us. In fact, he is the one who suffered the greatest injustice, right? The cross. 
May we be reminded that Jesus has not forgotten about broken creation. Jesus is making his blessings known. Jesus is undoing the curse of the fall here. Praise him. Praise him. Praise God. Praise him. This is Jesus restoring creation, making all things new. You guys know, compared to all the other pagan religions and gods, we have a God of compassion. Jesus is loving. Jesus is a God who has empathy toward, towards the brokenness of creation, and he enters into that brokenness, and he restores it. And listen, Jesus is not afraid of the mess of your life, the brokenness of your life, the grossness of your life. In fact, he has compassion and empathy toward the mess that is our, our life. He's not repulsed by it. He's broken over it. That is why he came. That is one of the reasons Jesus came. So I believe one of the reasons why Mark has shared this story with us is so that we would see our God and that would result in praise of our wondrous God. Praise him. Praise him. May this stir the affection of our soul to praise his glorious name. You guys know the Bible isn't for mental stimulation alone. This story isn't here only to stimulate our minds, but to stir the depths of our hearts so that we would worship God more passionately. We don't just love God with all our mind. We love God with all our heart. In fact, David, in Psalm 145, it's a song of praise that David wrote. I think captures this so well. Or he sings this song of praise, and he says in Psalm 145:1, I will extol you, my God, my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Now maybe you're like, I'm not the singing type. It's not my thing. I don't sing. You need to repent because all of eternity will be you singing with the rest of the people of God, singing and praising God. So get with it now or you're going to be shocked when you're in heaven, all right? Like that's what we are. We are, at the end of the day, we exist to praise and sing his glorious name. Psalm 145, 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall de declare your mighty acts. Isn't God doing mighty acts in this story here in Mark chapter 3? Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wonder, wondrous of your works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And many from all these regions came to him because his mercy is over all 
but he is made. Because we need to create moments of praise and adoration for God in our lives. Just praise him. Sing the greatness and the glories of his name. To simply reflect on his nature, that he is good, that he is merciful. And love that about him. And Jesus, guys, he he will make all things new. There is a day coming when the lion will lie down with the lamb, when, when disease will be no more, when tears will be wiped away from our faces, and we pray for this to happen. We pray for his kingdom come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we would dwell with him in his new kingdom, in the new city of Jerusalem. And these innumerable healings that he is doing here in Mark 3 are a foreshadowing of the greater kingdom of God that is to come. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And whenever the unclean spirits, verse 11, saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. I love that some demons have better theology than some pastors today, right? They're just declaring who God Jesus is. And Jesus is like, shut up. And they're like, okay, we'll shut up. We're done. We won't, we won't talk any more. Like even the demons recognize the authority of Jesus here. They fall down and they declare his name. Everyone. Everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. But Jesus' time is not yet because if people, if all these people fully realized who this Messiah, who this Jesus uh, was, as they will later, they will want him to start a political revolution and they will want him to be the throne, the king on the throne of that political revolution. And the Pharisees will then want him dead even sooner than what uh, was to happen. So Jesus told them to shut up. But Jesus, he didn't come to be a political king. Jesus is the king of kings. And the fact that demons shriek at his authority and his presence truly reveals who he is. So here we have thousands following Jesus, demons declaring the glory of Jesus, revealing the power and the compassion of King Jesus. And then we transition, though, somewhat related to the story. Verse 13. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, who he gave the name Bonerges, that is the son of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas. By the way, we've had a lot of babies born recently at the church. And so if you're, lo- if you're pregnant or you're looking for a name, here you go. You got to list some, some names right here. Uh, uh, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, son of the Cananean. Don't name your kid Judas Iscariot. Uh, verse 19, who betrayed him. So there is the name of the 12, God whom he called. 
it seems that those, you know, a lot of cool names here, you know, we, we know these names. But it seems that Mark's focus in reading this is not so much on the names. It's not so much a focus on these men, but the one who is calling these men. Like, names are mentioned here, but I, I don't think that's the point of the text. I think verse 13 is actually the point of the text where it says, He went up, Jesus went up on the mountain, which immediately, whenever God is on a mountain, it should immediately seize your attention. Think, think about the, the moments in the scriptures when God is on a mountain. Whether it's Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, whether it's God and presence there on Mount Sinai with Moses, or right before Ab- Abram is to kill his only son. God met him there. Whenever God is on a mountain, there's something important happening there. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Why these men? Why, honestly, why, why these men? Why, why these names? All right. What, what's their pedigree? What's so special about them? What makes them worthy to be a follower of Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. And that's the point. He called them. They didn't pursue Jesus. Jesus pursued them. As Charles Spurgeon, I believe as Charles Spurgeon refers to God as the hound of heaven, God goes after them. And he calls to himself a people. It wasn't about their background. It wasn't about their family. It wasn't about their skill. It wasn't about how much money they had in their bank account or how well they were liked or disliked. Pastor Leo's message, right, on Levi the tax collector. Or how qualified they were. The only reason they are worthy is because of the call and the grace of Jesus. Traditionally, rabbis, which is Jesus, at his least, he is a rabbi, right? Rabbis had pupils that followed them. And you know what those people were? Those pe- disciples. In fact, that's where the language disciple comes from. The rabbi to student relationship. And traditionally, rabbis waited for qualified students to come to them. And then the rabbi at that point would look at their pedigree, would look at their family, would look at all of their qualifications to see if they were worthy enough to be a follower, to be a disciple. But Jesus isn't just a rabbi, is he? Jesus is God. And so Jesus sovereignly chooses them. Jesus makes them qualified. Jesus makes them worthy. Jesus enables them for the ministry to which they were called. Jesus is calling these men unto himself to share the riches of his glorious grace that they will freely enjoy. And this is the precursor of what will become the church. The inception before the launching of Jesus' church. Jesus calls for himself an ordinary people to be part of his extraordinary church.
And the church is just that, a collection of ordinary, unworthy people called by Jesus for his extraordinary plan of redemption. To reinforce this, Jesus' own words are helpful for us in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives me will come to me. There is no one that the Father has chosen which will not find their way to Jesus because God has called them. Or how about John 10, 27 through 30? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all. (laughs) And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, even though we are worthy, unworthy of God's call, God has called us because of his great love for us. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. There's no chance that they were not going to come to Jesus. And even though we are unworthy, listen, like the disciples, God has called you and God has called me to share this news in our community, to share this news with our neighbors, to share this news with those we love. Look at verse 14. And he appointed the 12 whom he also named apostles. We're not apostles, but we no doubt are disciples so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Not just in Jerusalem, in Sidon, or Idumea, right? But the light of all nations, to the ends of the earth, this central Pacific, even. So that every tongue, every tribe, every nation on earth will declare, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Praise him. Praise God. We are only his because he has called us. Do you hear the call of Jesus? Do you see the beauty of God in the scriptures? If so, praise him. Glorify his wonderful name and sing of his greatness and his mercy. Because you are his disciple and you are his follower, share the gloriousness of God's grace with others. Father God, thank you for your wondrous deeds. For there is nothing we can do to be worthy to follow you. We need your grace. And so God, you've given us Jesus to enable us to be your follower. You've called us to love you. May we hear your calling And may we pick up our cross today and follow you. 
for great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised are you, for your greatness is unsearchable. There is no end to discovering how great you truly are. And so, Father, for those who do not have a relationship with you or know you, may they follow you because you've called out of your abundant love for broken creation, moved with compassion. We believe on your name and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.